We are going on tour. The Glamorous Trash Podcast and my book tour have collabed and we're coming to a city near you. Click the link in the show notes to to get all of the deets. We're coming to New York City on June 4th. We are kicking off an event with Jon Stewart. No big deal. That's our very first show in New York City. Then we're coming to Washington, D.C., Nashville, Chicago, Santa Fe, Albuquerque, Seattle, Portland, and Los Angeles. So get your tickets now. We are doing three different events because, you know, I'm always doing the most. That's just on brand, right? First, there's a glamorous trash party. It's the podcast meets the book tour meets Coachella, a live show featuring podcast segments, book segments, a very special guest. And of course, there's a runway walk at the end for people to show off their fits because the dress code to every event is obviously glamorous trash. We are also doing a cookie country club. It's the anti-country club country club. And it's very dreamy. You get like a bunch of products. There's little events. And it's a more intimate event where you meet other cookies and listen to a book chat with what me and another special guest. And then the final event, the Behind the Bangs Writing Workshop. I finally did it, put it together, put together this workshop because I wrote this book in many ways for younger me. And younger me would not have gotten off her couch unless there was also a workshop being taught. I wanted the gyms. I wanted I wanted the knowledge. I wanted the education. That's what I would have wanted. So I've decided I'm doing it. And in the workshop is going to be the six writing gyms that took me forever to learn. 15 years. In my 15-year career as a TV writer and author and blah, 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 all the other things I've written, there are six things that I always use, and all of those are in this workshop. So if you have an interest in writing, sign up. All the ticket links are live today. Click the show notes. Click my Instagram. We are coming to a city near you, and there's going to be some meet and greets. I'll sign some copies of books. We'll give out more books, and I have uh, some pieces of merch that I'm taking on the road, and I'm going to give them out at the shows. Welcome to Celebrity Book Club. This is a podcast that recaps and celebrates the memoirs of badass female celebrities who have been torn down by tabloids, dissected by social media, and faced heartaches and triumphs and come out of it all even stronger. I'm your host, Chelsea Devantes. I am a writer, comedian, and filmmaker. And this week we are book clubbing Dolly Parton's memoir, written in 1994, titled My Life and Other Unfinished Business. This is a book that is so joyful, so messy, and I think the true Dolly really comes through, and it has inspired some new 2021, what year is it? It has inspired some new 2021 goals for me, which is to run naked through the moonlight with my best girlfriends, a a favorite Dolly activity, and book a trip to Dollywood. I want to go so bad, group trip, everyone in the book club, let's buy the place out when it's safe. Tell you this Then we'll both know Where we stand My mistakes are no worse than yours Just because I'm a woman That was one of Dolly's hit songs, Just Because I Am a Woman. There were so many songs to choose from. I wanted to put in Jolene, I Will Always Love You, so many, but this one fits the conversation of today's episode. But before we jump in, I have a few podcast announcements, official announcements. So the first announcement is that 
I wanted to do a book club episode where we hear from the book club. And this was actually inspired from Dolly Parton's book. At the end of her book, she has this Q&A section, and it is the funniest, best part of the book. And I thought it'd be really cool if we did a Q&A for our podcast. So you can send in a voice memo of yourself talking. Your voice memos on your phone app. Just pull it up, talk into it. Try and keep it less than a minute or two and send me anything and we will play it on the podcast and I will discuss it. You can ask me a question about the books, the episodes, my life, writing, whatever you want. You could share a thought that you had about some of the books. You could disagree on a take that I had. I I think that's always fun. You could recommend something, insights, whatever you want. If you can picture yourself bringing it up in a book club with a margarita in hand, it is a voice memo you should send because that's the best part of the book club is having a group of people to discuss it with. So send in your thoughts to this email address, celebritybookclubpodcast at gmail.com. Celebritybookclubpodcast at gmail.com. Send in your voice memos. If you really don't want to have your voice on, you can send me an email and we'll put that in the podcast as well and send them by the 27th. Okay, now I have a second announcement. I I realized I don't talk much about work on this podcast, but I I put in the intro, I'm I'm a comedian and writer and filmmaker, but I do have a day job that I do uh, in addition to this podcast, which, you know, I consider my true job, but it it is not my day job. Um, I'm a TV writer, and uh, this year I was working on a show called Girls 5 Eva, which is a Tina Fey, Meredith Scardino, Robert Carlock show, and it should be coming out, I, I don't know, somewhat soon, and Busy Phillips is on it, and a bunch of great actors, and I mentioned her because uh, we're going to try and read her book in tandem with the show debut. But um, I recently got a new job, and my new job is I am the head writer for Jon Stewart's new show on Apple TV Plus, Coming uh, TBD. John gave me my first break in television as a TV writer, and I worked with him for a year in Jersey, and it was this incredible experience, and the show never went to air. It got pulled, and now I'm going back for this project that I'm really, really, really excited about. That said, uh, for this podcast, I have been reading a book a week, which I love. I love these books. They keep me company. I almost feel like there's a cosmic design to the scheduling because every time there's something I'm going through that week, I feel like the book I'm reading will just magically have this like piece of uh, advice or inspiration in the book. They really feel, wow, this is so nerdy. This is an ad for libraries. The books really feel like my friends, um, but I love reading them. However, as I move into this job, doing a book a week might mean that some of the content suffers. So instead of doing that, um, we're going to move to every other week. And that means I can still recap the books on my Instagram. I can still discuss them in the Facebook group. And my hope is that I never feel like we have enough time to really deconstruct and discuss the episode of the woman because I'm always moving on to the next book. So I hope this has a positive side and we can like really dive into it more. And this won't start right away. We have a bunch more episodes coming up and then it's going to move to every other week. Um, And listen, if you have thoughts about it, send in those voice memos. Um, I will hear you out and I will be on my Instagram at Chelsea Devantes recapping the books as always. And I hope this leads to more discussion. Um, We also have a really great episode coming up about Casey Wilson uh, and her new memoir, which I'm obsessed with right now. 
Okay, but let's dive into our episode and let me introduce my guest for the Dolly Parton episode, the wonderful Joanna Qureshi. Hi, Joanna. Hi. Um, Joanna is a TV writer hailing from Florida, which she apologizes for. She sold two television shows, one to ABC, one to CBS. She's written for Head of the Class, the Head of the Class reboot, which is coming out soon, The Big Show Show, Weird Loners, and so many other TV shows. But also, I want to share... one of my credits. I know we're doing your bio, but I want to <laughs> share one of my credits, which is that I was the adult flower girl in Joanna's wedding and had the time of my life. An important credit. I'm so glad you shared. Thank you. Thank you. I feel like the people should know that I threw flowers down the aisle for your wedding, um, but as a grown woman. And not just down the aisle, but pointedly at people who were still recording on their phones, even though we asked for no uh, pictures during the ceremony. So thank you. <laughs> I just got them all in the face. Yeah, I, you know, I will say I did not do as good of a job as the little cute baby who went in front of me because I did throw the flowers at people. It wasn't something I even thought I was going to be doing, but apparently that's what I did. Um, Okay, so Joanna, I introduce all my guests with the story of how we first met. And I've actually heard Joanna tell her version of this story. So Joanna, do you want to tell the story of how we first met? Sure. Um, Okay, so I was temporarily living in New York, um, not in Manhattan, deep on Long Island. uh, And I was invited to do this like political think tank brunch to basically pitch memes for um, a politician with other women in comedy. And, um, which was, or it was such a, uh, I don't know, a breath of fresh air. Cause I was working in a writer's room that was very Trumpy at the time. Um, <laughs> and, uh, I showed up to the brunch and they were like, are you Chelsea? And I was like, no, like, who's Chelsea? Like, you know, I was kind of like, what? like, why am I being mixed up with Chelsea? And then Chelsea <laughs> got there and had incredible bangs. And I was like, okay, I, you can totally mistake me for Chelsea if you want. Um, <laughs> Um, well, also, one of the cutest gifts I've ever been given when I moved to L.A., Joanna reached out to me and made me feel so at home, and she was just instantly my friend, and she gave me um, a bang trim, like a gift certificate to get your bangs trimmed at her hairstylist, which I just thought was, like, the sweetest, most beautiful friendship gift. Also part of my long con to single halfway female you, but... Um... Well, <laughs> successful, and, and I've now copped so many styles of Joanna's. So there is, we're talking about Dolly Parton's book today, so first I just have to say, there's so much much out there about Dolly Parton, books, interviews, huge canons of information. I really try to take each book for what it is. So, you know, with the Kim Cattrall episode, there wasn't much in the book, so we pulled a lot from other places. But with Dolly, there's so much in the book. There's also a whole other podcast about her. So I just want to tell everyone what I really want to focus on is the book, what Dolly put in this autobiography, what she took from her own life, not what other people have to say about her, because I will say Every rumor you've heard about Dolly, she talks about in the book. She goes into it. Yeah, I love it. I love that she's just like, yeah, with such a sense of humor, too. She's just like, let's just put it all out there. Oh, my God. She's so funny. This book is funnier than every other comedian memoir I've read almost. Um, th- this is the, with this is one of the funniest books you can ever read. She's, I don't feel like we've given her her due as a master comedian. Yeah. I mean, there's like, this book is jam packed with jokes and her voice is just so present throughout the book. Like I was like, she didn't have a ghostwriter, right? Like this is so her voice. I know. I could not find if she had a ghostwriter. I I feel like she had an editor, but it really doesn't feel like someone else wrote this. It really does feel like it's her voice. That said, 
I could be surprised. Um, and so, Joanna, what made you choose Dolly's book when I sent out the list of books? Oh, so I've loved Dolly since I was a kid. And I know that's not like a unique stance. Like everyone loves Dolly, National Treasure. We've established that. But um, her music was like such a soundtrack of my childhood. Um, my stepmom is from uh, a holler outside Nashville. So I grew up with a lot, of, <laughs> a lot of Dolly music. But I just have these memories being like, six years old, like singing and dancing. Like we put on like full on talent shows to Dolly Parton music in my living room. Um, like I have memories of like belting out, like here you come again. Um, and, uh, I would like wearing like sequined, like costumes, like, you know, just like, I mean, very Dolly, but I just grew up like loving her music. And it was just such a part of just like my home life. Yes. Oh, I love that. Dolly Parton for me, Dolly has always been a part of my life because my mom loves her, just loves, loves, loves Dolly Parton. Um, And so she's always been a part of my life, but I didn't become obsessed with her personally until I was in my 20s and I got really into drag and drag queens and performing drag. And that's when I became Dolly obsessed because she's kind of considered one of the first cis female femme to femme drag queens, an AFAB queen, if you will. And so that's when I fell in love with her. So this book was written in 1994 when Dolly is almost 50 years old. I have a theory about this book. In 1994, I think Dolly was in a career lull. Um, She'd kind of come down. She wasn't as hot as she was. And because of that, I think the book gets messier and goes more into depth than had it been written at a high point or a more dramatic point of her career. Because I, I mean, I've watched the Dolly documentaries and I had the thought of like, there's all these mysteries around her. And then in the book, I'm like, oh, she like fully addresses all, like why do we think these are mysteries about Dolly Parton when she told us the answer in her book in 1994? Did you have that same feeling? So did you feel like she shared a lot? She shared a lot. And I love the context you just brought up because it does, I feel like the book gets messier and messier, but then there, and I feel like so many of like the truths she's telling are cloaked in jokes or with like a, just a real sense of humor about herself. So it's a little tongue in cheek and you know, you can, it can be left open to interpretation a little bit. Yes, definitely. Which is what, which is like her, she should get an Oscar in using a joke to leave it open to interpretation. (laughs) Like she is the queen at that. And she, yeah, the book gets messy. I will also say the book is kind of a mind fuck because she bounces, she can cover six topics in one page. And I think it's her way of like keeping you distracted to the point that she's not telling you the full truth. And then she moves and she jumps around. But I mean, like some of these pages have like nine bombs in them. Yes. And then she'll like go really into depth about certain things and like very detailed. And then she'll like some of the most titillating stories. I'm like, wait, you just breeze past that. I have follow up questions about that. Yeah, I have questions, (laughs) Dolly. Yeah. Okay. So let's read the first page of her book. And oh, I, I just opened my book. I tore a page out of this book to frame. The only other book I've done that with is Mariah Carey. Um, I, I, I needed this book. I will say I've had a, I had a rough week. (laughs) I had a rough week and it's so nice when I'm having a rough week and reading a book that's joyful. I don't know if you felt this, but like, it's a very joyful book. Oh, she radiates joy in this book. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I want to read the last paragraph of her foreword. My life has been a coat of many colors, to quote another song of mine, but I wouldn't change a thing. I just hope you get as much out of it as what I tried to put in it. I tried to be as honest and open as I could without completely hanging myself or someone else. You may like me more or you may never like me at all, but you will know who I am and what I'm about. 
I know you'll go straight to the gossip parts first. I would too. But after you've read those parts a few dozen times, please start at the front and read the whole story. It would mean a lot to me and hopefully it will mean a lot to you as well. Love, Dolly. I love it. <laughs> just so cute. She's just so cute and sweet. And like, um, it kind of made me like, um, people are like, oh, did, did Dolly get plastic surgery? Now we're like, yes, of course. Dolly's the plastic surgery queen. But in the book is her first like, yes, okay, I had plastic surgery. <laughs> so those are the gossip parts that she's talking about. So, okay, one of my, I figured we could um, talk about Dolly in buckets because the book <laughs> jumps around so much. Yes. So instead of going in order, which would probably be impossible, um, I, I thought we could talk first about how she got her start. And one thing I really wanted to talk about is there's this story where she's like 10 or 11 and she's gotten a gig singing at a local, like a local TV station show. And the guy running the show has this contest that if you can shimmy up the greasy pole, you can win $250, which is a lot of money back then. And also Dolly's, her family's just so poor. So Dolly goes outside and rolls around in dirt, covers herself in dirt, so that when she comes back inside to climb up the greasy pole, the dirt catches the grease and she's the only one who can get to the top. And she wins 250. And everyone's mad. They're like, this kid works on the show. And the guy's like, none of you thought to roll around in dirt. Like, you, you, she gets the prize. And what I really liked about it is that it shows how smart Dolly is. Like, even at 10 years old, Dolly was finding her way around things and a way to get to the top and and really just making it work. I love that story, too, so much. I think it is, like, the perfect example of her determination and just, like, how, like, just, like, laser-focused she was on what she wanted and would go for it fearlessly. I love that story. Yeah, I thought it, it was just this hidden little gem of, like, no, she's a genius. She's a genius, and it's definitely being called out more, but it's even cool to see it in little kid form. It really reminds me of um, the two really great pieces of advice I got early in my career um, one, when I went to acting school, this teacher of mine, um, his name is Mr. Kraus, and he said, if you let money stand in the way of getting what you want out of life, you can't be an artist. You got to quit because you will never, you will almost never have money in this work and you will have to figure out how to make it, but you will perform, you will be incredible and some businessman might see you and see your soul and want to take you out for a nice dinner and probably try to fuck you and that will be nice. By the way, this this is almost, I'm paraphrasing, but he did say those words. We were refreshing. <laughs> we were like, oh my God. Um, like great advice. But, <laughs> great advice, the businessman thing. Um, <laughs> No, really great advice. It really hit my core of like, do not let money stand in the way of getting what you want out of life. There is always a way to make it work. It will be excruciating, but it is possible. And I was also given this advice again in another way when I was in, um, when when I was a junior by my teacher, Andy Myra, who was like, have a blue collar attitude about your career, which is you have to make it work. You just have to make it work. And that obviously speaks to my upbringing where it's like, okay, I understand that. I understand that. And Dolly really, really, really embodies that advice. She finds a way to make it work even when she's like really being fucked over. I remember like, you know, taking jobs as doing extras work because I was like, well, they'll feed me there so I don't have to buy groceries. You know, like you yes. find little like workarounds of like how you're gonna, you know. 
Yeah, I will say um, the the thinnest I've ever been is when I was um, on a touring company and they would give you twenty five dollars per diem a day when you were on the road. And I would I would I would whatever food I could find for free, I would pocket the money so I wouldn't spend the twenty five dollars on any food. So I would be eating like bags of nuts and like leftover cups of yogurt, very thin, very hungry. Um, But literally and figuratively, literally when I went to move to New York. I had $800 because I'd just been saving it and I really needed it. So, okay. I really want to read this quote that is about everything we are talking about. To an outsider, the quest for stardom might seem too frustrating, too heartbreaking. The whole system might seem cruel. Front office people might seem put there simply to keep you from getting anywhere. The fact is they are. Trying to weed out those few people with talent from all the sea of dreamers is quite a job. It's a lot like looking for four-leaf clovers, which would be easy to find if it weren't for all those three-leaf ones. The problem is every one of those three-leaf clovers thinks he's a four-leafer. He has to in order to keep going and pushing, always on the move so you can't count his leaves. It's the front office person's job to keep me out, and it's my job to keep on trying. That's the system, and there's nothing we can do about it. Did that feel true? I mean, that felt true to me. Did that feel true to you? It felt so true. And I also had a professor who was always like, listen, like talent's great, but like doggedness outbeat, like, well, out, you can outwork talent like most of the time. So I think Dolly had that great talent, but also just this like doggedness that like, she was like, yeah, this, this is a system and I'm gonna, you know, go up against it. I'm gonna. And there's a lot of really talented people who don't have the second one. And she has both in spades. And I think it's what made her such a global superstar. A thousand percent. Yeah. And also with her working the system, this is also, this. it's going to be so hard for me on this podcast not to go into deep TED Talks. Um, I, her working the system to me, like this is also going to play into how she is with men and how she talks about herself and this whole feminist conspiracy. You know, she's she's working the system. Every moment of the day, she is working the system to have this career, which means all these wily things we see about her, I think are all her master plan. And so, yeah, and I love the advice of like, you just have to keep going. You just have to keep going. Although it's such a bummer because that's the advice that like your friend selling skincare is also they're also reading that advice and they're like yeah just gotta keep knocking on doors so it's a real bummer that we all get the advice but um in those instances we have to be the ones who are that front office person saying no thank you i've Uh, i have enough of this pyramid scheme skin products but that's another podcast that's (laughs) and then she we get into the porter wagner stuff okay joanna what are your big head headlines from the porter wagner oh gosh this was um this hit close to home i think every woman in comedy can tell a story about a guy uh trying to fuck her over take credit for her work or trying to date her while also working with her um it was oh man i love the way dolly spoke about it like i i feel like that was such a power move to just be like here check out you know check out his book like go read this but it really um it bothered me because it really hit close to home for me (laughs) same same so for anyone who doesn't know dolly had made um had made a small something of herself in nashville she she had some hits she had some songs but porter wagner was a legend had this huge tv show and he also had a little girl singer he would have on his girl singer i'm using the term that they use his girl singer left norma jean possibly over a failed affair with him. So he brings in Dolly and he offers her $60,000 a year, which is more money than she's ever seen. Dolly grew up just incredibly poor. So she comes onto this show and 
the history of this um, is is covered in the Dolly Parton's America podcast, and I highly recommend it. Um, but in her book, she is at a moment where she is not fully healed with him yet. And I really liked it because the story of her and Porter Wagner is that she is with him for seven years. He he they have a really intense relationship and then she has to get away from him she has to be like no i'm gonna be a star i'm not just your side girl and it, and she says like i didn't promise you forever like i have hopes and dreams and he's like no fuck you he sues her when she leaves and says he deserves profits from everything she ever does in her life um and to even get out of being with him she writes the song i will always love you and sings it to him as a way to get free of this seven-year uh, relationship on his show. And he says, that's the best song you've ever written. Um, can I produce it? If I can produce it, you can leave. He still wants money from her. Like, he's still... And so, yeah, Joe, I had this... I really came away being like, Porter is... Porter is the industry, and Porter is a lot of men I've met in the industry. And they exist at all levels a dude who wants to take credit for your talent and but it's also interesting too because he did give her this huge platform for her to make her next jump and i've been in positions where i took jobs or worked with people where like i didn't have anything i did need them mm -hmm. but then they think they can own you mm -hmm. and squeeze you dry and and I I also, the fact that she spent seven years with them, I spent seven years at a comedy theater. It really had this, like, I, I before reading this book, I really had a, like, you have to pay your dues. You have to pay your dues. And I would always think in my head, Dolly Parton, Porter Wagner. And I remember distinctly uh, one time in Chicago with this project I was getting really fucked over on. I was in a grocery store and I thought to myself, this is just part of it. This is what happened to Dolly Parton. Like Dolly Parton got fucked over in order to have her bigger career. You have to get fucked over to have your bigger career. And this is the Dolly Parton moment. And that's passage. how I soothed myself. It's a rite of passage. Now that I'm older and more along in my career and a great DM from a book clubber was kind of like, this is also how they condition you to accept less and to be traumatized in this business and to think like, a man fucking you over is paying your dues. A thousand percent. Also, it's the combination of him taking credit and thinking he's owed, like, you know, eternally for giving her, you know, um, a break or, you know, a platform. And also a man being threatened by a woman outshining him. I think that's such yes. a toxic combination. I mean, and that's probably, it's tough. They also, in her book, she she does one of those, people are like, oh, did you sleep with Porter. And she said, I ain't admitting nothing he ain't. And you're like, okay, but what? What <laughs> was that? And then in the back of the book, there's a Q&A, which I actually think is the best part of the whole book. But in the back of the book, there's a Q&A and it says, have you and Porter Wagner ever had sex? And she said, yes, hundreds of times, just not with each other. <laughs> and it's like, Dolly, but, um, and I said I would stick to the book, but um, I think a lot of people have been like, yeah, they had a, an affair. Like, and it was also what he expected and demanded. And also a lot of people have said that she was the love of his life. She's just so incredible, but she's more incredible than him and he can't take it. And he also didn't even start writing songs until she was writing songs. And she wrote Jolene and I Will Always Love You in the same fucking day and then after she breaks it off with him and he says okay you're free to go after seven years 
It's like you can find another girl singer. Like if that's what the position's called, like you don't need Dolly Parton to be your girl singer until you die. She drives home uh, away from Porter and she writes another song in the car. And the song is Light of a Clear Blue Morning. And it's her now knowing that that's where it comes from. It's her talking about her career. And that means that she is the caged eagle that that has been caged by Porter and is ready to fly. So I will say yeah, to, and to the rumors that, like, did they have an affair? I'm not writing a song called I Will Always Love You to someone that I'm not, like, very deeply <laughs> enmeshed with. And also working the system. Like, she had to write a song to convince this man. Like, that. It, that's... This part was really hard. It's even hard for me to talk about. Yeah. Her having to, like... I don't even know the word I'm looking for, but she was so enmeshed with him that, like, having to, like, I don't know leave that situation, write one of the most brilliant songs ever. Like also, I mean, he can yeah. find another girl singer, but there really is only one Dolly Parton. And even in yeah. that, in that experience where she's, you know, she's like, she got out of there. Like she was so strong willed. I love that. She said nothing and nobody has ever been able to stand in the way of me and my dreams. Like, you know, she's like as stubborn, as strong willed as he was like, I can do him one better kind of thing. <laughs> yes. Yes. And like, you aren't going to own me. And it is really it's a really, I love talking about this period because it really is the making it period of your career. And again, think of the time period we're in. Women were not allowed to do this. Um, and she really stood up to him. She also, so in the book, she, she, she later not only bails Porter Wagner out of financial troubles, but then gives him his own publishing rights back because she wants his kids to have it. So they later have a very peaceful uh, coming together. But I love the book because the book shows her anger. And this story is told as like, Dolly's so great, she's above it, blah, 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 blah. But in the book, she's not fully there yet. And I, I like it because I would be mad. I mean, he goes on a whole press tour shitting on her this country legend man shitting on a woman who still hasn't made her career yet again in country music um and she in her book says porter wagner said a lot of horrible things about me here's where you can find his book she lists the publisher she lists where you can buy it and it really reminded me of uh bianca del rio on drag race who was a drag queen who was just so talented that she would give her drag pieces away to, so someone would be like, oh no, my costume's a bust. And she'd be like, okay, here, have mine. Or here, let me show you how to do this. Because she just wasn't threatened by anyone. And that's Dolly Parton. And I've personally felt like gatekeepers are always the least talented person in the room. A gatekeeper who is either the person in charge of whether you are talented or not, but also the people beside you who decide like, like, um, so, you know, in drag, it's like kind of controversial still if women want to be drag, if women want to be AFAB queens and, and, and perform as women. But the drag queens who have a problem with it are always the least talented ones. That's how I feel like that way in our business. Like, I always feel like the people who are like the stingiest, like the most like trying to like, you know, like what's everyone else have? What like, what are you doing that I'm not? I'm like, I feel like the people who are the most like talented and like just secure in their talent are the most generous. Cause it's like, yeah, no, like all boats rise together. Also like what you're doing isn't like taking away from what I'm doing. I, like you can't diminish what I'm doing cause what I'm doing is so great. Yeah. And that takes a lot of security. A um, thousand and percent. Dolly wrote in the back of the book, Quote, I have always found it true that the more real talent a person has, the more secure he is in that talent, the less likely he is to be a jerk. Most of the temper tantrums people throw don't really come from anger at others so much as insecurity in themselves. Whew. And 
She put it in the back of the book, but I was like, you're talking about Porter Wagner. And you're also talking about many people I've worked with. Yeah. And I'm sure many people you've worked with, Joe, like oh, that is so true. It's so true. It's, it's, uh, it's chilling. <laughs> it's chilling. That, you know, Mariah Carey also has something similar in her book when she's talking about her brother, um, where he feels, she said he feels entitled to a lot, but unwilling to work for it. And how those two combined qualities create a lot of evil in the entertainment business. Whew. Yeah. And I, I know I, deep. I, also, I like, I feel like I see that in a lot of men in the business. I don't want to like gender this, but I'm like, yeah, that that uh that that speaks uh very much to me. <laughs> I mean, yeah, and you know, it, it's so hard to not gender it because it's systemic. Systemically, we've asked less of a certain gender and women have picked up a lot of the slack. And so then you're not used to working so hard that you bleed while bleeding internally and when asked to do it, you don't want to. Oh. So true. I know this book was a little <laughs> hard because I kept on having like flashbacks to like, oh, oh, God. Oh, God. Oh, yeah. Um, OK, so let's move into the bucket of her childhood. Dolly grew up so poor, like uh, poorer than poor. And she grew up in Appalachia and she writes a lot about being from the mountains. And she is also so giving. She's so giving. She has done more charity than almost any celebrity you can think of. She started the Imagination Library, uh, which sends out hundreds and hundreds of thousands of books every year. She started Dollywood, which really gave back to that community. Imagination Library now, I think at this point in time, gives out over a million books a month, I wanna say. A like, month? Fa fa oh my fact God. Fact check me on that. But I was looking it up the other day because I was just like, this is such a, like a, a cause so dear to my heart. And I was like floored by the just, um, you know, just the breadth and width of it. Yeah. Well, and also Celebrity Book Club drinking game. Chelsea's going to bring up the statistics that poor people give more to charity than rich people, which is a proven statistic, also proven anecdotally in my life. And then on my Instagram, I said I would tell a story that would make you feel bad and I'm going to tell it. So after a few years of being a TV writer, um, your taxes get weird. Like you, there's different like S corporations you have to form and like all this stuff that's I'm, I'm horrific at math. So there became a point in my life where I needed to hire an accountant specifically just to do my taxes, which also felt weird to me because I've always done the for free, um, like HR version, <laughs> you know, TurboTax Turbo tax. like is doing a special. <laughs> and then I went to an accountant and I was like, ah. so anyways, I go to see this accountant and I said, I've heard if you, donate money um you that like helps your taxes and also it helps donations so like how does that work and she looked at me and was like oh 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 my god i've never been asked this before i was like what and she, this is a hollywood accountant to many 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 like she works at a big firm like lots of people she said to me do you see this box right here on your form that where you put in your yearly income? She said, I have clients who that amount can't, it can't fit on the line. It takes up two lines to write it. And they don't donate a cent. And she was like, no offense <gasps> to you, but you are the lowest, you have the, you're, I shouldn't even be your accountant. You don't make enough. And you're the only person that's asked me. Um, which like, you know, yay me, whatever. But it, it's more like she didn't have a one. And all these people who like, if they gave the money would never even feel it. And they, and not not to mention, it would help their taxes. 
They would get more money back if they would give $12,000 to charity a year and they don't do it. It's like, even like, it's like, well, if you can't get them with the humanity angle, like yeah. think about it from a business stance, that is like, that's wild. That's wild, but it's also like, I, I, I'm not as surprised by that as I wish I were. That's I know, so, it was really oh. tough, but it does make you be like, oh, this is why we're in the predicament we're in in this world. Um, also oh, like- I a thousand percent. <laughs> I guess I should say it, that is shocking, but it's like also like weirdly like, less surprising about how people, uh, yeah. you know, move through the world in their entitlement. <laughs> I also think, like, I don't know what the stigma is, but, like, whatever ism that describes hating rich people, like, I have it. <laughs> like, I have, like, some sort of, like, severe prejudice you could, like, sue me for where I'm like, you have money? Get out of here! <laughs> Let's get you in Congress. That's what I say. Get me Let's in Congress, hey, hey, hey. <laughs> um, um, so when she won the, the, the climb the pole contest, she bought a TV for her family and then they had to give it away because everyone, all their neighbors would come for miles to watch that TV every night. And it became such a nuisance. They had to give it away. I also love that she had, she had been on TV before they owned a television. Like her first television performance preceded owning a TV. So like knowing yeah, her family couldn't see her Which perform. Is, <laughs> she was like, yeah, I want them to see me on TV. And also they would, they were so poor that they would use newspapers to line the wall in their house because it would help keep the cold air out. And she would read those newspapers and she would see the women in them and come up with her dreams. And she's always such a dreamer. And this is also like imagination library, like making sure kids have books and dreams because she was reading her wallpaper yeah. to come up with hers, which I just, her, her childhood the book for her childhood is just so sweet. And there's so many specials about like um, the the code of many colors and things like that that you probably already know about. But like those stories are in here. There's a story where she gets lost and then sees one of their cows. She's like four years old and she knows the cow is going to go home to eat. So she holds on to the bell by the cow's neck and it drags her home as a, 40, a four-year-old. She's like bruised and bloody. And that's the only way she gets back for the night. Which I mean, also is so what? smart. <laughs> I wouldn't so have thought to do that. I know. I know. I'd have been like, I guess I have to eat that cow and like live off of it as a four-year-old three miles away. And she was like, the cow will drag me home. Uh, I mean, the the craziest stories. Um, and then there's a story about her brother, Larry. Ooh. Are we going to talk about Larry? Oh, I feel like we have to now. Um, okay. You, you tell the story of Larry because I don't want to. Well, I mean, here's the thing. There's a photo, like, whole insert in the middle of the book. And I, you know, I like to kind of browse before I read the whole book. And I was like, oh, here's mm -hmm. a picture of a baby. This is sweet. And then I read the story. And, you know, her mom had so, she had so many kids. Like, Dolly had so many siblings that as the kids got older, the mom would be like, oh, this one, this younger sibling is your baby to take care of. Um, and Dolly, uh, you know, was, like, gearing up to take care of her baby. And then her baby was stillborn or died like it, it's a very sad story yeah but it was her it's like it was her mom giving birth to it but dolly thought of this as this is my baby yeah like i'm gonna take and care so of dolly's like my baby died oh. my baby larry died and then there's a picture of larry in the book yeah it's uh it's it's ooh, it's um it's it's, it's really sad tough. it's yeah but you can really feel what another thing i like about dolly and gives is that like she's really sensitive and things really hit her really hard and that's how I feel that's how I was a kid and to see her like go on and be so powerful and and also stay sweet and stay joking 
uh, it really gives me something to look up to. Yeah, there's such a groundedness and such a like genuine just like generosity and like just zeal for life. Um, And just like the story she tells about her mom in the book, like just how her mom, like, you know, was really spread thin. Um, You know, they grew up super poor in Appalachia and, you know, had all these kids, but like her mom would like be like, oh, go find, like she'd send the kids to go find a stone for stone soup for dinner. So she'd like make up these fun like games. I think she really like nurtured Dolly's imagination and like her, her dreams in like a really lovely way. Yeah, yeah, it's a really, really sweet childhood. Um, But also what I love about this book is that she has a really hard time at school and she's hated at school and she steals things. People make fun of her. This is all I I love it. It was really speaking to me. Um, And then like kids do horrible things to her. And and uh, in high school, they hate her, especially because she's now getting a little successful. You know, she sings at this local show. And so the kids just uh, hater for it. It reminded me of, um, did you, <laughs> Tierra on the bachelor for any bachelor heads. I am now referencing Tierra. It's a deep cut, but she, she was the villain on a season. And I remember people were being horrible to her. And she said, my mom told me people like to throw rocks at shiny things. And I will not allow you to take away my sparkle. And I was like, that is genius. And also, you know, the edit made it seem like Tierra maybe deserved it. But it really, that piece of advice, for some reason, stuck in my head and made me think of Dolly. People like to throw rocks at shiny things um, because, you know, Dolly is a sweetheart. And yet people still came for her. Oh, like just the sense of self that Dolly had and like the pride and just like the self-confidence was incredible. She was just like, I'm going to keep my chin up. I'm not going to let them see that they're upsetting me. It was like a self-possession that I don't think most kids have. I don't have it now. (laughs) (laughs) Same. (laughs) Yeah. And then she tells a story about like one day she goes to high school and a, a bunch of girls are like, she can tell everyone hates her that day. And then a girl's like, we heard you were gang raped and like, you're gross. And what I really liked about this <laughs> is a weird sentence to start that what I'm saying. <laughs> but what I liked about this is that Dolly then dissected why it would be so odd to hate a woman for being raped. But she does it in a way where like, it doesn't really matter your political party. She's really explaining like why that's so crazy. And then also... You know, she's in high school and so she's crying to her mom like, it's not true. It's not true. I wasn't raped, you know, and her her mom is like, you got to go back in and like know it's true and not care. And I find that to be very hard to do. People are like, well, you have your truth. It's like, yeah, but I want everyone else to have it, too. Yeah. You know, and Dolly kind of learns right there. I think she gets a really thick skin from it where it's just like people are going to say stuff about me and be mean to me and I'm just going to go on. That felt like such a formative moment for her future, just how she was going to navigate her career, because it was like, yeah, you can know what your character is and you can know who you are, but like it still feels it doesn't feel good to have people, you know, especially slandering you if you take like your integrity and your career seriously or your sorry, your character Character and career. Um, career. Yeah, absolutely. And. And so this leads into the next bucket I want to discuss, which is Dolly as a feminist, which, okay, everyone, as I was recapping the book online, they were like, you have to listen to the Dolly podcast. And I was like, no, I'm not going to. I want to form my own feelings about this book and I don't want to be swayed. So what I did is I came up with all my feelings and opinions on the book. I made the beat sheet for this podcast. And then I went and listened to a couple episodes. 
Um, and so on that podcast, she's like, I am not a feminist. Like, I'm absolutely not a feminist. And I slightly disagree with some of the takeaways that came out of that. So so this is going to be my little soapbox. Um, one, she just t- told a story about, like, why being raped wouldn't make the woman the person to look down on, which was the culture at the time. There are so many things in the book. She has a story about a guy who is racist on a date and she dumps him and never looks back and in the book talks about why that's so crazy she's so supportive of lgbtq rights she's so supportive of drag queens she lifts up other women in the book listing feminist things they've done she um uplifts like other women in country and country music and she did just really feminist things just in the world generally like she got married in what year did she get married she got married in 1966 and keeps working that's feminism a she joins a man's show as the girl singer and fucking quits that's feminism her music just because i am a woman working nine to five all these things this is what i believe dolly is a sleeper cell movement of feminism (laughs) she is the trojan horse of feminism some people believe in god i believe in this i believe dolly has been bringing feminist feminism to us forever and i really can't stand that the second wave feminists rejected her when she was doing all this incredible work for us and also there's a lot of people i know who say they're a feminist but they don't actively do anything and the word feminist is an is not an inactive word you have to actively fight for progress to be a feminist it's a word for for activists and 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 she's the most active person in the world and i and i his last thing i'll say lately i've been really thinking about what what actually affects change what truly changes what changes people and people who don't believe in feminism are not turning like tuning in to last week tonight or watching the daily show they are going to dolly parton concerts and picking up dolly parton not just dolly parton but also like casey musgraves is another one like what changes people is it watching a really good movie with a slightly different perspective that really speaks to you and changes your heart because it's not gonna if it if reading the newspaper is not doing it then i think dolly's doing it I agree a thousand percent. Okay, it's over. Oh, no, I, I'm just like, I'm like pointing at my screen. <laughs> my rant is over. <laughs> um, no, Dolly absolutely is a sleeper cell feminist. Um, I love how you described her as a Trojan horse because she really, it's like she gives people the bubble gum, but she's slipping in vegetables too. Like I love, like, just like. She's the Jessica Seinfeld of brownie <laughs> recipes, putting the vegetables in the brownies. <laughs> and I love that because I agree. I think that's so much more effective. Um, you know, and, yeah, and yeah. I, I know in like later interviews, she's pointed to like Dixie chicks and like, you know, um, which I, and I'm, I'm very guilty of being like, yeah, you tell them, but I'm also like a person who got blocked by my aunt on Facebook last summer for, uh, you know, ta- saying like, no, actually masks, masks do work. Um, that's another story, but, um, <laughs> but like, so I like where my instinct is like, no, like you need to draw a line in the sand. Like, no, you're that, that's more divisive. Like, I think Dolly is brilliant. And like you said, she's this master of, of, you know, she controls what people like what she's giving you what she's letting you in on and I think very much so like she she knows who her audience is and she's not making it like her beliefs she's not making them like 
polarizing and political. Like she is just this, like she brings other women along, like her philanthropy, all, all these things emanate a feminist existence. Yeah. And I think people try to make the argument that she's placating. She's playing to both sides. She stands for nothing. But I think if you really dissect it, she's hugely liberal and she is swaying a non-liberal base with every step. I have not seen a piece a song that is doing the opposite. Like, even when she talks about God, she's talking about how God believes that she can fuck whoever she wants. <laughs> you know, that's that's a diff- that's a different angle on it. And I will and here's what's tough. Okay, so I <laughs> with one of my past boyfriends, I may have ruined thanks a Thanksgiving and separately a wedding we were at by arguing with him that it, it was her who hasn't <laughs> we we got into this argument three times it was it was the biggest argument in our relationship are you ready for it he said it was okay that Katy perry said she wasn't a feminist and i said no it's not and i i ruined holidays over this i mean i would be screaming at him and he'd be like i just think she can do her shit and i was like no <laughs> Um, and I was like, how dare you denigrate the movement? And so here I am talking about how Dolly has recoiled from this word. And I think it's okay. And I think I give Dolly also a pass because she's of another time. She's of a time where there was a lot of marketing and advertising saying that feminists wanted to kill men and that they hated men. And so for her, she's trying to say, like, well, I don't hate men, you know, because she bought into the marketing that that's what that word means. But I think if you're... This is unfair of me. I think if you're younger and you didn't have that marketing, you don't like I hate I hate when people take a long time or they only come around to it when it's trendy. I will say that for you, like Dolly, that's an evolution of there are nuances to, you know, I, not everything is black and white. So like, yeah, like I, I get annoyed when, you know, I feel like, you know, Taylor Swift, like pe- a lot of people are really mad that like you could have come out and just said, you know, you could have been a little more vocal or, or just taking a stand. Um, but I do think that there is an evolution. We all are having this, evol- you know, at different times in our life, we're evolving as, you know, what, what, what we believe, what we, you know, where we stand on things. And I think even Dolly has come along, you know? Yeah. And I think, um, Taylor Swift, it's like, yeah, that was annoying. But when she did come out, 60,000 young people voted to register that day when she implored them to. So it's sort of like, well, then who cares? Because right. again, what creates actual change? Is it me being mad that Taylor took too long? Or did Taylor just get a bunch of voters that I never fucking could have? And maybe she got them by, you know, the, her route. Okay. Right. <laughs> the feminist philosophy will not continue after the break. We will be discussing her wild and unique marriage to Carl Dean, among many other things. So first, a little break. Sibling fights are unavoidable, but what if every fight you had was under a microscope on a global scale? That's the reality for brothers Prince William and Prince Harry. They were each other's closest friends and allies since the death of their mother. But that all began to crack as they married and took wildly different approaches to their royal duties. Wondry's podcast, Disentel, is hosted by comedians Sydney Battle and Matt Balasai. Each episode unpacks one of pop culture's most iconic celebrity feuds, and they recently took a deeper look into the real reason William versus Harry started. It's actually much bigger than these two brothers, stretching back into the history of the British monarchy. 
Did their feud start with the royal family's mistreatment of Meghan Markle, or was it something that started much earlier? Follow Disintel on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. I started this podcast because I have been obsessed with memoirs my entire life, and I can't believe it, but I got to write my own, and it comes out on June 4th, and you can order it right now. The book, you know, I was asked to describe it, and I said, it is an absolutely harrowing, traumatic memoir, but funny. So if that sounds good to you, order it. Let me give you some topics that are in this memoir. A female best friendship breakup. How I got my break into Hollywood. When I found out my dad was not my real dad. The time I dated a magician. Are those last two related? Who's to say? Read the book. Growing up in Utah. Growing up around cults. How I got into therapy. Listen, I could keep going. Each chapter title is a different woman's name in my life. Some are heroes. Some are motherfucking villains, but you know what? A villain and a hero, what are both of those things? A leading role, and we do love women in our leading roles. So pre-order the book, it matters a lot. I linked everywhere that you can buy it in the show notes, but you know, go anywhere. Also, I am reading the audiobook personally. So I'm personally narrating it. So if you like this podcast, get my longest podcast ever. And the audiobook is also available for pre-sale everywhere you get audiobooks. And thank you so much for listening to this podcast. You are the reason I got to write a memoir. So thank you so, so much. Welcome back. Okay, now we must get in to the story of Carl Dean. Now, this is something, this is one of the examples of, a, of like, he's rarely seen in public. You know, not a lot is known about him. Da, 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 da. And then you open this book and there's so much shit in there about him. Um, this is, there. this is a distinct relationship that is unique and layered. So let me go through the, the things that kind of popped out to me and then jump in. First off, to me, they are very much in an open relationship. No fucking question. Oh, a thousand percent. That's not, that's not on the table, right? <laughs> I, I think people are like, I heard she cheated. It's like, yes, they're in an open relationship. And the book really makes that clear. A thousand percent. I Googled afterwards. And I was like, yeah, this is an open relationship. This is describing an open relationship. Yes. And secondly, the only person opening the door in that relationship is Dolly. She is the person sleeping with other people. She says in the book, I believe with all my heart, I am the only person Carl Dean has ever slept with. But then in other parts of the book, she says, I never met a man I didn't like, and sex is an issue for me, and I want to have sex with everybody. Yeah, in Dolly's defense, she's and a horny-ass lady. Like, <laughs> she is so horny. So and horny. She talks about being horny from the beginning to the end. She's like, I love to fuck. It's really cool. I it's cool it. horny energy. <laughs> Um, and Carl Dean is such a specific type of person. He really reminds me of someone else I know in my life. Um, he's, he's a particular type of guy. And so I will just share some facts about him and, and let the facts speak for themselves. And so here are the distinct things about him that popped out to me that forms who he is. He hates events. He hates uh, big social things. He hates dressing up and he like hates suspenders, throws them off. He has an odd off-kilter humor that goes on for way too long. So after the joke is over, Carl Dean will do the joke for nine more hours. Respect. He is, yeah, <laughs> respect for the bit. Um, he cannot have his routine messed up. He loves a schedule and he cannot get off his routine. He never told Dolly he loved her or gave any indication he even liked her. 
for months until one day he's like, yeah, I'm going to marry you and I love you. And she was like, what? I didn't even know you liked me. <laughs> um, he doesn't travel with her. He told he went to one event with her and said never again. And she said, OK, he loves to fix things. This was a bummer. She said he reminds he reminds her of David Letterman. <laughs> I was like, hmm. <laughs> um, and then and then he is kind, solid. He doesn't cheat. He loves her for who she is. However, later in the book, she says one thing which really bummed me out. She said Carl cannot deal with her emotional problems. And so it's this weird thing of like, he doesn't come with her. He doesn't travel with her. He doesn't live with her. He doesn't go to events with her. He's not part of her career. He Oh, she also says he doesn't like love what she does. Like, he's not like you're the best songwriter in the world. He's just like, Dolly writes songs. And that's nice. That feels like a crime. And then on top of that, isn't good with dealing with her problems. And I was like, I don't, I don't, I don't think I can get on board with this. This was a tricky one for me because I was really trying to like keep an open mind because I was like, okay, it, it feels like an, uh, clearly it's working for them. They've been married for over 50 years, right? Um, yes, yes. And, you know, I was like, okay, it's a pretty non-traditional in a lot of ways, especially for the time and the place. Um, and, you know, there are things that I was like, okay, like maybe I'm being quick to judge this non-traditional dynamic. Like also Carl Dean is not an Instagram boyfriend. He's like, I'm not coming to the red carpet stuff. I'm not doing these <laughs> I'm things. I'm not taking the pictures. <laughs> um, like I, I thought it was healthy. Like I liked the healthy, like it felt like independence and they could kind of do their own thing and then come back together. But that part really bummed me out too. when she was like, he's not good with like dealing with my problems because I was kind of like, I was just trying to figure out like, what's that secret sauce for them then? Because like I, cause I, I can definitely feel like very, like I'll go do my own thing. Like I'm pretty independent by nature in relationships. Um, and I think when I met Jared, like, it was like, oh, yeah, like, you have to integrate, like, the person you love into, like, areas where you've previously been completely like, I do this by myself, I do this thing. But when, yeah. when she said, she said that, you know, he's not good with handling when she has a problem and also that they've never had a fight. And that for me was like oh what like I um like granted like there are spectrums of like you know what healthy fighting is and then like also you know being in a dysfunctional relationship where that is you mistake that for like passion but it's like no this is just you guys should not be together um yeah but I was like just like what so where where is that like wh I don't know you guys are apart and then you come where's together where's the fusion yes what's the glue for for this like because I think what it, there are yeah. love languages and like you know, I think an, an unspoken love language is to feel known, but I'm like, well, I, I was just trying to find where that cohesion was for them. Yes. Yes. Same here. And I also was like, this is cool. They've been married a long time. Like who can, how dare anyone have an opinion on that? It's, it's clearly working. However, this is a podcast and I am going to have an opinion. Um, so I want to read this quote. I do have a theory on it. Um, and again, it's just a theory, but here's a quote from the book. She said, a performer has to give up certain things in her personal relationships in order to have a bigger relationship with the public. By bigger, I don't necessarily mean better. Carl will always be my husband. When the lights die down, I will always go home to him. So from personal experience, this is my theory. Dolly married him really young. She was 19. She didn't fully know him. And she's a woman from the South, which means at 19, she's, you're almost like an old hag. <laughs> like, she's a woman from the South. And, and in that year, you, you need to get married. You need to have a husband. And whether conscious of it or not, um, I think she chose a husband who would allow her to be her fully, which also means she maybe chose a husband who's not <laughs> where the fusion isn't there. Because when you are a woman who is a rocket ship, there are very few men who can hang on. 
And a common theme is that they will destroy you, own you, co-opt you, become your manager, get competitive, a whole buffet of toxicity. Um, And what I will say is like, if you are a man who is a rocket ship, women have been trained our whole lives to give up what's important to us and be your side piece, Um, give up your career choices to take care of the home life. And there are many women who want to do that and I support it and good for you. And like, that's a great choice in life, but, but that's a choice for women in life. That's not really a choice for men. We don't, they're not in, we're not in the culture of creating male side pieces. We should be. Um, but there's not a lot of them, especially not at that time. So I think Dolly gets into this relationship, doesn't fully know him, doesn't fully know what it is, but, but, uh, no, I think Dolly gets into this relationship. She is a rocket ship and Carl Dean has the type of personality where he'll just let her go and stay married to her, which, you know, is is cool in itself. And I think she gets her soulmate connection from Judy, her best friend, and her mental excitement from Sandy, her manager, and and many other people in her life. And but in an unhealthy, not, I don't want to say unhealthy. I want to say, what do I want to say? In a way that's not, so you can't put everything into one person, right? You can't demand every need you have from one person. However, I was once in a relationship where when my best friend and I had a falling out, I suddenly realized I didn't like my relationship. And I hadn't realized that I was getting all my fun and all my connection and all my like deep layered stuff from my best friend. And when she was gone, I was actually just in an empty relationship. Wow. And that's kind of what I feel with Dolly. Where like, I think she's getting her rocks off other places. And then this stability is with Carl, but like, he's not even helping her through her problems. Yeah. You know, that's an interesting take because I definitely, I think that there's a lot to that, that she is this larger than life, like, you know, I mean, personality, this career, this, and I think especially of that time and in that culture of being in the South to have a husband who was comfortable and secure with like, I'll like be like a, like a quiet, steady presence in the background and you go do your thing is pretty remarkable. Um, and I completely agree with like getting, getting those things fulfilled other places. And clearly she's getting a lot of things fulfilled in a lot of different places as she alludes to in the book, including fucking, yeah, yeah. she's getting that vitamin D somewhere else. Um, sorry, Carl Dean. Um, but I, um, you know, I go back and forth because part of me is like, okay, this seems mutually respectful. It seems secure. It's, it's working for them, but it is also like, um, Yeah, there's a part in the book where she was like, uh, you know, I was gone a lot right after we got married and like, I'm still getting to know him to this day. But um, yeah, I guess it it does feel a little bit of an enigma. And I do think that your theory is, I think the thing that makes the most sense to me, because I've really had a hard time just kind of reconciling like, all right, like, who am I to judge? This is working for them. But also this feels so like disconnected in a lot of ways. Yeah, I was really on board with the whole thing until she said he wasn't good with her problems. And then I was like, okay, I was even given him that he's not into her music. And but then I then I was like, "Eh." and so this also leads to there's a lot of rumors about Dolly that she is secretly a lesbian, specifically with her best friend, Judy. She addresses it in the book. She's like, I just don't think people um, are used to a female friendship that can be this close. And also who cares if they think I'm a lesbian free press. And, but then at the end of the book in the Q and a, they say, the question is, have you ever been with a woman? And she says all my life, I love women. My mother was a woman. I was like, okay, well, you could say no, (laughs) or you could say that answer, but I will say 
um, wh whether she is or isn't like who cares and like if you don't want to be out like your business but I I've had best friends where our relationship mirrors exactly her and Judy's relationship so a lot of people are like well they get one hotel room and they sleep in the same bed it's like yeah I've done that with you Joanna multiple <laughs> times in Vegas <laughs> like yeah, I that's how I am with my female friends. That's not a thousand crazy. percent. I mean, my my best friend Sarah, like our shorty used to call us the gay ants because they were like, well, you guys are like, you guys are you like an old married couple? We went on a cruise for our 30th birthdays and like her husband and my now husband were both like, yeah, of course you guys are going to go on a vacation for your 30th birthdays and like go drink daiquiris <laughs> in the Bahamas. Like, you know, God bless. Um, But like I, I, I had the same experience where I was like, no, like that is that is like my relationship with my closest female friends. And I do, yes, I do think that, yes. that also fulfills like a that is a, a relationship that feeds your soul in a way that like maybe Carl Dean, that companionship, you know, I mean, Judy is such a, you know, constant presence, oh, except for when she's not. So not maybe not constant um, in the book, but like that, that female friendship, I fully was like, yeah, no, I, I have that in my life. Yeah. And it is someone where it's like you look like a married couple. And I've been in those friendships and I love those friendships. <laughs> and like there's jealousy and there's weird issues. There's all the relationships you would have with a relationship, but it's with your platonic friend. <laughs> and like it really reminded me of and I will say mine have been like codependent and unhealthy. Her and Judy. I'm not sure. They do seem like they're in a weird codependent place, but also I like it. <laughs> um, even she says like the first person to often write down her songs is Judy, where like Dolly will be singing and Judy will be taking down the music. They've known each other since childhood. And I will say this actually, do not tear up on the podcast, Chelsea. Um, I had a friend where I would um, I would shout out bits and comedic things and she would act it out and kind of pace around and like be goofy and I would type. And I would, I would say things and then she would do them and I would see if they could work or not and write them into scripts. And like, I just really touched my heart. There's pictures of Judy and Dolly's book. And then also there's like a weird part where like, Judy gets a lover from the army. And I will say that Dolly does not use a pronoun for Judy's lover about seven times. She'll, so she'll be like, Judy's living um, was jealous of me. Judy's lover wasn't good to her. And I was like, oh, well, this is an interesting choice. But then she says, Judy finally dumped the dude. And, but it was a distinct like because people also say Judy is a lesbian because she never married, whatever. Um, but at the end of the day, end of the day, Dolly is like, I love it. Free press. And if you can't handle female friendship, like go fuck yourselves. And also if Dolly is lesbian, that's tight too. Yeah. Also, Judy like lives with them at times, which I'm like, that's a yeah, dream. Judy lives in their house. <laughs> which I did. I went and lived in my best friend's house after a breakup. Like I'm like, this is a dream. Like to get to like live with your best friend. Um, can we also talk about that strange um like uh, the where they said they took a road trip and then they were just in the park. I, I don't know what to make of this. Yes. Okay. Okay. Let's move to that bucket, which is the psychic bucket. Bing, 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 celebrity drinking game. This site. Okay. So every book, every memoir has a psychic moment. This one has the craziest ones I've ever read. Please, please take us through the moment you were just about to say. Oh, okay. So there is a, um, there's a passage towards the end of the book where uh, one of my, the most unusual experiences I've had, I shared with Judy. We were both going through a difficult and very draining period in Los Angeles. We needed to restore ourselves emotionally and physically and decided to take a trip up to Napa Valley. We loaded up the car with food, clothing, cameras, etc. Well, I said we were depressed. We filled up the tank. 
to head off for our five-day adventure. So she goes on to describe that they they discovered some amazing places on this trip. They explored all the old missions in Santa Barbara. You know, they were mostly alone, but they remember like the tall mountains and these, you know, she felt like it was looking like into the Old Testament. I mean, it like, and she's like, you know, we were just swept up in the spirit of this place, but we weren't drunk, um, you know. And then suddenly we came back to our senses and found we were still in the parking lot at the Bel Air Hotel. So basically she says that five days later they realized that they just hadn't moved. Their their luggage was still in the trunk. The gas was still in the tank. Um, I was like, is, is this a drug trip? Is this an origin story for Barb and Star go to Vista Del Mar? Like, what is... <laughs> it, it was bananas. I love it. She literally it. says, we did not leave the parking lot. Yeah. And all that trip we took was like in our in a dream. And and it's the food is spoiled. They have it. And it's like, you're like, what? But they can still what? remember. She says they can still remember distinct moments from the trip. I'm like, honey, you're in the parking lot. I I have so many questions. Uh, okay, and here here's the, this was the funniest part to me. So you know, I recap the book on my Instagram. T Mom Z, my mom, DMs me. That happened to me once too. <laughs> I was like, what? She was like, yep, swear to God, we never left the parking lot. And I'm like, wait, what? Um, uh, and so, anyways, talk about T Mom Z and her love of Dolly. I mean, there are other crazy psychic stories of. Her asking God to show her what heaven is like and her floating up towards it and then getting scared and saying, no, put me back, but then always regretting not going and seeing it. And I mean, I I have to say, loved this, loved this. Usually you would be like, I'm a big celebrity. I can't include the story about how I never left my car and went on a dream trip. And some editor would be like, please don't include this. And she did. Oh, I'm here for the hillbilly mysticism. I love this so much. It's just like, and then she's like, and I'll, you know, I'm, she's very like in touch with nature and with her senses and like talks about going like running naked in the moonlight at her cabin, house, you know, her mountain house. Like, I love this. I don't, I can't claim to understand it or like relate to it, but I just, I loved just like Dolly is fully herself. I was like, yeah, you're just this free Yeah. And she, I will say when Dolly talks about God is when I really came to understand my mom's love of Dolly, because the way my mom talks about God is very similar to the way Dolly does. And I actually want to read page 290 where she goes into it. Okay. While Christianity and its symbols are powerful parts of my own life, I am not one of those who believes that a person has to embrace them to be a decent and worthwhile human being. Spirituality is the most intimate part of a person's makeup, and it's strictly up to the individual to choose how to express it. I've known wonderful, caring people who never profess to believe in God, and I have known evil people who have cloaked themselves in the outward appearance of godliness. I believe that a person who is truly good is in touch with God, whether he or she is consciously aware of it or not, because I believe we are a part of God and God is a part of us. I cannot see it another way. God is always there inside of us. We either deal with other people we come in contact with through the love that he bestows us with, or we don't. Either way, it doesn't change the fact that he's there and we all have equal opportunity to use his power. I keep on trying to use that power to the best of my ability. And so I would say my mom's like a little more spiritual with it, but just the idea of like, there is an energy, there is another power, whatever you want it to be is fine. Whatever you want to believe, however you want to express it is fine. Everything's good, but we are connected on a spiritual level. And that's kind of her take on religion, which again goes back to my point of like, she is a liberal sleeper cell. And maybe liberal is the wrong word, but she's not saying like, if you do this, you'll go to hell, which would be the more conservative version. She's saying, feel God, whatever way you want to feel him. 
Yeah, I was struck by just how progressive she is about her faith. I grew up going to a Methodist church in Tampa, Florida in the 90s, and like Dolly's just approach to her spirituality and God felt so just remarkable considering the backdrop. Like there, you know, the Deep South in religion, I feel like there's such a correlation of the shame and repression. And I love that she celebrates like, you know, she's like, God made me this way. He, you know, God wouldn't give me this body if he didn't want me to show it off. And um, also she talks a lot about how she had a really hard relationship with God as a child and didn't understand it because she was so horny. And she has this great yeah. little line. It's a joke. It's everything. I'm going to read it. She was in church as a kid. So there I sat trying to be holy, praying for forgiveness for sins I couldn't put my finger on, repenting for things I had put my finger on. <laughs> so funny. And she says the way she found God is that she found this like really defiled church that had graffiti over it and condoms. It's like where kids would go to fuck. And she kind of was just meditating and being a dreamer. And that's when God came to her and was like, Dolly, it is okay to fuck and have tits. And she was like, all right, we're cool now, God. And she went to church and she was like, baptize me. I am ready. Um, and after reading her book, I was like, baptize me, bitch. Sign me up to the Dolly religion. The baptism was basically it like described like a wet t-shirt contest. The wet t-shirt like, contest well, for would, Jesus. He wouldn't have given them. Yeah. Like, I was just like, okay. Like, you know, this, this is very much about like how I love that Dolly's like, yeah, my sexuality and my desire can coexist with God. Like, this is beautiful and not to be, like, hidden away or repressed. Yeah, yeah. It's so cool. And then, so then um, another part we have to go into, another bucket. I'm calling this one womb horror stories. Because throughout the book, she's saying she goes into this really, really dark period. And what comes before it, she keeps calling female troubles. Female troubles, female troubles. And finally, I was like, this has to be an ovarian disease, right? Like, what the fuck is female troubles? And I did some research, got a lot of DMs. It's a little unclear, but I think Dolly had endometriosis. Um, yeah, I think that's what she had. And what I thought was so incredible and why I love the digital book club is that people... I was like, what is going on? Like, why isn't she getting care for this? Why is she calling it female problems? At one point, she says she gets her tubes tied and doesn't even tell Carl. Um, which, by the way, fine. Do whatever you want with your body. But that was another sort of like, you know, usually you tell your partner, like, I'm having surgery tomorrow. Feels like a conversation. Yeah, yeah. And and she's saying she ga she's gaining a lot of weight in this time. And also that she got horrifically depressed. And so I had a lot of DMs from people saying, one, um, the disease is just not studied. People don't know a lot about it. And that's with all female diseases. And then also with things that particularly affect people of color. Like, it just wasn't studied. But um. Um, send me your medical DMs. I am not a doctor. I'm a podcast doctor, but de uh, definitely Google anything I say. Uh, but <laughs> women wrote in to say, like, my my mom had a C-section. And when she woke up, the doctor had given her a hysterectomy because he was like, well, you had two kids and you're 35. So figured it should go. What was never consulted. Women currently would write in and say, I tried to get my tubes tied. And doctors would say, um, if you regret it and sue me, uh, I, I I can't have that happen. So you can't have your tubes tied. Or they would say, oh, come on, you're 30. You'll change your mind. I'm not doing it. And so all these things with like womb horrors and a lot of women said how incredible someone even tied Dolly's tubes for her back then. And how um, a lot of people, a lot of doctors would not allow that, not not without her, Carl Dean's permission. And then also I think Dolly got a hysterectomy. She says tubes tied. I don't know what happened. I kind of think maybe she actually got a full hysterectomy and she didn't want to put that in the book because people are judgy fucks. 
Um, and I think she then went through menopause and got really depressed. And she goes into this really depressed period. And it's all kind of unclear. I was really grateful to everyone writing in and giving their takes because it was like, you know, it's also like she's sharing these things that, especially in 1994, like... I don't know. The patriarchy is very chill, as we've learned from these womb horror stories. Um, and that, that that also came into play with like the Carl Dean, like not like her not feeling like she could go to him with her problems. That bummed me out. But yeah, she said she was really depressed at that time and Carl Dean wasn't good with it. Oh, so tough. Okay. But it was a really, really interesting section. And it was really interesting to get the book club's take on it because... Because, you know, I so I talked about this on the Jessica Simpson episode. I had a seven and a half pound dermoid tumor on my right ovary, which is a specific type of it's like a it's like a sister to a cyst, um, but it was huge and it was massive and it looks like I've had a C-section. That's what my scar looks like. And I was like, oh, this crazy thing happened to me. But I mean, 900 messages from the book club poured in with a horror story about their womb or the womb of a loved one. And it's just like, oh, we have all been through the fucking shitter and we don't really know about it because even in Dolly's book, she's calling it female problems. We're not like fully talking about our ovaries in depth. Let's go to a, another bucket. A comedian, songwriter, genius. She's a oh. genius. She's so smart. I can't fucking take it. One of her influences is Mae West. Obviously makes sense. Mae, Mae West is also one of my absolute favorites on this earth. A bummer about her autobiography is that it's really hard to find. It's really expensive and there's racism in it. And I was like, no, you know, it was written in 1930. Um, but Mae West was the queen of zingers. I mean, she just had so many fucking zingers and she was so funny that despite not being that good looking at all, this Mae West made herself into a sex icon, which when you really look at it, you're like, how did that happen? And it was because she was so funny. And Dolly is the same. Dolly has so many zingers in it. There's more laugh lines in this memoir than any other memoir. And she also does The Best Little Whorehouse, which is a movie I went and checked in on with Burt. Reynolds. Um, oh my gosh. Joe, wait, first, what do you think of Dolly as a comedian? I want to hire her to do punch up. There are so many jokes in this book. She's so just like, she has such a good sense of humor about herself. She's so quippy. Like just, I, I mean, I, I have so many things like highlighted in the book. I, Read I also, some of them. I'm just like, oh God. Um, oh, no gosh. pressure. No, I'm like, I have so many things highlighted that I'm like, I got to find some just even in the the um it's in the prologue she basically is like uh you know uh if i can be of help in any way then i feel good about taking your money for this book if i don't help i still feel okay about taking your money because i think you'll at least be entertained besides i need the money as i always say it costs a lot of money to, to make a person look this cheap yeah, like yeah. she just is constantly like she's yeah, in on the joke she's so funny and then okay so she does the movie um best little whorehouse in texas which she does this movie with Burt Reynolds. I just want to, I need to do a celebrity book club crossover moment here. Burt and Dolly's memoirs came out the same year, 1994. In his book, which we covered on the Lonnie Anderson episode, he hinted that they were together. And Lonnie Anderson said Burt Reynolds had an affair with D Dolly Parton. Now in Dolly Parton's book, this is the exact quote. Bert and I are too much like brother and sister to be involved. We both wear wigs and high heels. <laughs> <laughs> so what is so funny to me is that one, he hinted that they had sex and she was like, he's my brother, gross. 
books books come out the same year he also said all my hair is natural i have so much hair throughout his book he's like i have the best set of hair in the world and in here she's like he's wearing a wig so funny and when i posted pictures of burt reynolds on my instagram story one of the dudes was like is he wearing high heels and i was like oh yeah he does have like a high heel on his boots in, in all these photos and dolly calls it out um it really yeah and so then one really really i would say the biggest fault in the book is that dolly really fat shames and starting with herself she talks about how fat she was at some point and was just like, I was a hog, I was a pig, I was ugly, I was so huge, I was so fat. And then also takes some time to make fun of other fat people. Um, I mean, it's the worst part of the book. It really bummed me out. And then I kept trying to be like, okay, I'm reading this through the context, which was the 90s, which like that doesn't excuse it. But I'm like, oh, this is just, it really, really bummed me out. And I, yeah, I, I don't know. Like, I think she took a lot of heat for it that it was, it was the 90s. So Dolly put on 20 pounds and people were like, you're a hideous beast. So she was doing her same Dolly thing, which is I'm going to tell the joke before you can. And she kind of had just kind of come out of that. And so she's telling the joke before anyone else can. That said, she said she was talking about how like, oh, she felt bad for Burt Reynolds who had to pick her up in that movie because she was such a hog or whatever. It bummed me out too because like I'm on my own journey of like healing like my like, diet culture is so fucked up and pervasive and like, you know, to undo a lot of that stuff that you internalize. Like also to feel like as a woman, you're a failure if you've gained weight. Like it's somehow like a like indicative of like, it's like a moral failing. Like, yes, and it's yes. like you're, you're bad. You're like, you know, you're this, you're that. Like, and I'm looking at her going, and then it bummed me out. Cause it made me think of like times in my twenties where I was on a diet and I look back and I'm like, what, why were you letting this take up mental, like an emotional energy when like, that's kind of, it really like I, it, it, it's awful. It it's connected bad. for me. It's, it's bad. It really like, and I was just like, I, I think with perspective and I know she's like, since you know, she's evolved, but it really, that was a part of the book. Yeah, that she's felt, since come around. Yeah. Yeah, it's a real bummer. Yeah, when you look at her body in that movie, I was like, I wish I want to look like, like that. that's what I want to look yeah. like. And also like, I I think like, I guess, you know, being thick, like is so tight and awesome. And it's so <laughs> awful to see her shit on it. Yeah, I will say the one thing I did love was finding out that the inspiration for the song Two Doors Down, which I love, was going to dinner at a Hojo's with friends and she was on a diet and they were eating fried clams. And it was just like about her FOMO. Like she went home and wrote that song. And I'm just like, I loved that song before. I've never related so heavily to something like, and then she's like, I went off the diet. Like I, I, I ate the clams too. And I'm like, I I love the behind the music for that so much. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's a great behind the music. And I also love a Hojo's reference. Mariah Carey has a Hojo's reference. And I was like, yes, that's like when I like love it. Um, also, we should talk in this section about her boobs. I just quickly want to say, so I, I have, <laughs> this feels weird to see on a podcast. I have really big boobs. <laughs> no, I, I, I yeah, I really, I, yeah, I, I, so, and they've been, tough for me. I've I've received a lot of unwanted attention. I've been dismissed as an idiot for having them. I've hidden them. I've thrown them on a platter. Uh, nowadays, I do whatever I want with them. Everyone go fuck themselves. Um, I've also had women be mean to me over them because of, again, the patriarchy. So what I really liked about Dolly is that one, she's always been my boobs icon, but she created a comedic movement with her boobs, a calling card, a brand, and an ownership. And she led with them, she made jokes about them, and she delivered them. So even when men are making big jo jokes about her boobs, 
she's using it for press and attention and branding. And she drives the, the joke train. She's the conductor, um, which I thought was really cool because I've been the person where like people make a boob joke and I'm like, fuck you and the patriarchy and blah, 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 you know? And uh, probably a cooler move would be to like make a joke and be like, you wish, honey, and keep it moving. Yeah, she, she just the ownership she has over like be, A, being ahead of the joke, being in on the joke. And she just is like, you know, I, I don't know. I remember like growing up, I loved her music, but also I just felt like Dolly was like a cultural punchline. Like, you know, yes. you, you see like everyone like joking about her boobs, joking about her body. And to have Dolly, like Dolly's very self-aware. Like she's using her boobs the way she, like how she wants to. She's either like putting them on display or, you know, like she's unapologetic. And I just love the way she exercises agency with her body. I feel like that was pretty revolutionary. Yeah, I agree. And she wrote the punchline, you know, yeah. which is which is is interesting. Again, she is the writer. She wrote the punchline first and she leaned into it, which is very cool. And that makes me love the punchline she was because it kind of reminds me of Shark Tank. Um, Sarah Blakely, the creator of Spanx. Actually, this isn't in Shark. She was on Shark Tank, but this was in a book about like leaders or something that I read. And she Florida basically State grad. Florida State. Wow, Joe. Uh, something One of to be our proud finest. of. Yeah. Um, she basically wrote that she was an open mic stand-up comedian, hilarious, then creates Spanx and used her comedy chops of like, what would be the funniest word for this stuff? And she comes up with Spanx, like, oh, there's humor to it. And that's how Spanx blew up over some of the other brands by making fun of, you know, whatever. So I, so I loved it. Okay, we're coming towards the end. The last real bucket I want to go into I call failures, which was the most inspiring part of the book to me because Dolly kind of ends the book plugging a TV show she's created, an underwear line she's launching, a cosmetics line, new albums, these really huge make it or break it moments of like, I'm coming back in my career. Everything she listed, I had never heard of. I've never heard of this underwear line. I've never heard of the TV show. And I just thought it was so cool that like, those are a lot of failures, you know, and to, to some degree. And yet here we are, 30 years after this book, she has only gotten even bigger, which means she just kept going. She had a huge career, then had lulls and failures like the one we're in right now, and then comes right back up. I, I thought it was incredible. She talked about the depression being so bad in her life that she almost killed herself. She talked about betrayals from people close to her. She gave us one sentence, but basically said she was betrayed by people really close to her, which is the biggest heartache you can go through. And I love her. I personally wish her memoir had been darker, but I'm a dark person. I like the darker memoirs. This one doesn't get into the pain nearly enough for me, but in these moments, I found a lot of inspiration. Yeah, her resiliency, her resiliency, her perseverance, and also I think reading a book from 1994 where she's writing this going, hey, I'm starting my own line of, you know, cosmetics and wigs. I've never heard of Dolly's dailies and nightlies. And she's thinking like, this is gonna be her second act. And then she like goes on to like, you know, I mean, just surpass like her wildest dreams. I think of what her career. Yeah, even though the second be. act was a was a was a failure, the third act is incredible. Yeah, I think it was such a like it was such a really inspirational. Like it was a good reminder of like I think so often like we're so you know we're, we have a lot of like tunnel vision or like we're really short sighted and it's like well this like the thing I'm in right now feels so like permanent and then it's like well you don't know what's right around the corner like to read this book yes. however many years later and go oh Dolly just wait like you, you know 
you're yeah you're gonna turn down the presidential you know um medal of whatever medal twice of <laughs> like you know like you you are like you have so much ahead and just the perspective of that was really really profound I thought yeah I agree and and specifically as a tv writer having her tv show be something <laughs> I've never heard of reminds you of like you can even be like I'm about to launch my tv show and there's still more ahead of you if that fails um and uh I I said I would tell this story in my Instagram story so I'm going to tell it really quick but um I said I would tell a story about Dolly being a punchline. I was in a writer's room of all men. I was the only woman. And as an icebreaker, the head writer was like, let's all go around the room and say um, two celebrities you would just die to meet. And I think I'm almost positive every single man said Bruce Springsteen and someone else. <laughs> like like almost every single one, which which, you know, that's a it's a trope. <laughs> if you're a dude in improv, it's a trope. So it gets to me, and I said, Dolly Parton and RuPaul. And my boss made fun of me. He's like, why would you like those two jokes? Like, I, that's not even, like, uh, an aspirational person to me. And I was like, what? Excuse me? And that was, I don't know how many years ago that was, but that was a hefty chunk of years ago. So it's really nice that, like, he could never say that to me now, you know, especially about both of them. But that was still in our zeitgeist, you know, however many years ago that was, which wasn't that long. It wasn't two decades, you know. It also feels like the most dolly thing to be like, that, that's treated as frivolous. I'm like, this is a powerhouse. Like, but you like to be like dismissed as this like, you know, floozy because she had big boobs and big blonde hair. It's just like, you know, yeah, she gets it's the last so laugh. funny. She really does. And we talked about how Mariah Carey's a songwriter. Dolly Parton oh. is, is, is she, I don't know. What, what is the highest honor you can give a songwriter? I, I mean, she is the songwriter of our fucking time, of history, of the world. She's Fuck in Beethoven. her own. <laughs> Beethoven. She really is in her own stratosphere. She's like just next level, unreal. So prolific. Um, okay. Here we are. Um, we're coming to the end. I want to say after the last page of the book, she has a Q&A section that is so funny, so punchy. I think it was my favorite part of the book. And then also in her thank yous, there are 1,500 names. There are 1,500 names in like size four font. That's how many people she thinks. We didn't cover it in the book, but she tries to give credit away to her family, to other people. For her. She tries to to show love to every single person, I would say to a detriment. And and one of the pr people that she thinks, a uh, book clubber pointed this out, is Trashy Lingerie. <laughs> the company Trashy Lingerie. I love it. She also leaves a blank space for you to write your own name if, if it's not in there. So... Which I love. I love her. <laughs> That's... Okay. Okay. So let's read the very last paragraph of the book. I still have love to give and get in this world. Oh my God, that just hit me. She still has love to give and get in this world. Okay, love it. And I am excited about that prospect. No one can say how many years God will give us on this earth, but I know that every day he gives me, I will cherish as a special privilege, a new opportunity to love. There's plenty of life and love left in Dolly Parton. I plan to enjoy every blessed second of it. I mean, ain't that the <sighs> truth? Plenty of life left in Dolly Parton. That was when she was 50. She is 72 now. Yeah. And she just kept on being so prolific. Yeah, I love that. She really, she has kept loving and love and getting love. So, I mean, it's just, oh, I love this book. It is messy. It's all over the place. It's crazy. I love it. Um, okay, so I end every podcast with a thank you 
to the author. Joanna, do you have a thank you for Dolly Parton? Oh, I just, um, no, I I can't even like, I don't think it will fit here. Just like, thank you to Dolly for everything that she is, everything she's been. Like she just has really been such a trailblazer for women in our industry, you know, in the industry, just women in general. I, I'm just forever grateful for her being so unapologetically herself. Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree. Um, my thank you to Dolly Parton is, in the book, there's a story about how she goes to a world fair to see the alligator girl, the famous alligator girl. And when she sees the alligator girl, she sees it's her cousin Myrtle. And she's like, go on, Myrtle, get get yourself. Um, and that Myrtle's a big dreamer. And even though her dad pulls her out of the world fair, Myrtle always finds a new dream and goes on to it. And she writes the sentence, after all, today's alligator girl is tomorrow's storyteller and that really hit me and I was like I'm an alligator girl we're all alligator girls and um I want to thank her for specifically being um a brand of feminism that like I employ in my own life like she really is an icon to me and there's all kinds of ways to be a feminist but the way Dolly does it in rhinestones and big hair is definitely like the road (laughs) I'm traveling and Again, I've really just been thinking about what actually creates change in the world, what actually helps people, heals people, changes their mind. And it's Dolly Parton. Dolly Parton. Dolly Parton's the reason I'm probably going to get a vaccine in my arm. Like, how fucking crazy is that? Um, And also, I just want to thank her for taking all those double D jokes because now they're hack, now they're old, and you can't say them to me. Um, So thank you, Dolly, for taking all those hits. Um, And Joanna, please tell people where they can find you. You can find me on, oh God, I, I'm honestly, I don't tweet. Um, oh wait, can I tell you one crazy thing just really quickly when I was prepping to yeah. do this? I was supposed to see Dolly at the Hollywood Bowl in October, 2016. And then I got this job in New York. Like uh, my friend Sarah Ball was supposed to fly out. We were going to like do a whole thing. And then I got this job in New York and I was like, oh shit, I'm not going to be able to go to Dolly. Maybe I can fly home. Work was crazy, toxic. I couldn't fly home, but I just cross-checked the dates last night. The Dolly concert was the same weekend I met you at that brunch. So I wouldn't have met you if I had gone to Dolly. I would have met you eventually. But how crazy is that? Oh, my God. Oh, my God. This is so cosmic. Dolly, I'm sorry, Joanna, couldn't see you in concert. Meeting me is much worse, but I'm so glad it happened (laughs) selfishly. (laughs) Joanna, I love this. I adore you. Thank you for covering this icon with me. Um, It was such a heavy feat to take on. And... I adore you, and I'll see you hopefully very soon. Yeah, thank you for having me. This is so fun. That's all for this week's episode of the podcast. I want to leave you guys with one of my favorite quotes of Dolly Parton's that she said to Barbara Walters in an interview a long, long time ago. Barbara Walters asked Dolly Parton, do you ever feel like you're a joke? that people make fun of you. And Dolly says, oh, I know they make fun of me, but actually all these years, the people who have thought the joke was on me, it's actually been on the public. I know exactly what I'm doing. And I just love that sentiment. I wanted to leave you with that. If you want to see the visual story that goes with this episode, go to my Instagram at Chelsea Devantes. I will save it in a highlight so you can always view it. And don't forget to send in your voice memos. You can send in anything. And I'm so excited to hear from this book club. I just love this community so much. So don't hesitate. Send them to celebritybookclubpodcast at gmail.com by the 27th. And you can ask anything, say anything, anything you want. 
We also have a Facebook group if you want to get involved there. That's where we have larger, deeper dives and you can start discussions. Celebrity Book Club Podcast is the Facebook group. I could not do this podcast without our amazing production team here at Stitcher, executive producer Daisy Rosario, producer Brandon Nix, and associate producer Corinne Wallace. If you want a free month of Stitcher Premium to listen to Celebrity Book Club without ads, go to stitcherpremium.com and use the promo code BOOKS. And that is the only way to get ad-free episodes. So go to stitcherpremium.com, promo code BOOKS. Thank you again for your reviews, for leaving nice stars, and just for reaching out on my Instagram. Um, I just love talking to everyone throughout the week. It's just, it's really been the best part of my year. So thank you to everyone in the book club who I have now named The Cookies. It's the C from Celebrity meets Bookies. The Cookies, plus we can use the cookie emoji. And you guys, I'm really gunning for a cookie company to give us free cookies. I want free cookies, a trip to Dollywood. um, And those are the things that are important to me right now. So if you're in the book club, you're now officially a cookie. um, and, and, And maybe we'll have some Girl Scout merch or something. I don't know, I don't know. I'm, I'm going to drink more wine and see you later. <laughs> see you next week.